Well, I have a little early Christmas present for you. Don't get excited. It's it's little. But the, the early Christmas present is this. It is a New Year's. And um, I told you it was little because it's not the end of 2020. We've still got a little bit more to go with 2020. But this is the beginning of the new church year. Uh, our church year begins with the season of Advent, which we have now begun. Advent is the the season that that makes up the four Sundays prior to Christmas, and we celebrate Advent, Advent as a way of remembering um, the the coming of Christ at his at his first coming at Christmas, uh, his coming in humility as a baby in, in Bethlehem, and we look back to that as a way of um, helping us to remember and to look forward to and, and anticipate his future coming in glory. Um, at the end of this age, like we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. So so um, uh, this is the new year. It's this new season of Advent, and we're going to begin a new conversation where we're looking at those accounts, those Christmas accounts from the New Testament documents to see uh, what we can learn from them uh, to help us uh, as as we wait for that future coming of Christ. And it may seem a little strange. It, it doesn't have all of the familiar characters we're used to from those Christmas accounts. We, we, we look at our reading today and there's no Mary. There's no Joseph. There's no three kings from Orient R. There's no shepherds and angels. Uh, it just has, uh, these two unfamiliar characters, um, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to come back and, or, or we're going to keep moving and we're going to see the, um, the other people, the more familiar stories um, over the course of this conversation. But we're starting out today with these two unfamiliar characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And um, that's how that's how Luke begins his biography of Jesus. Actually, he begins it with a little dedication to the reader and he explains where the, the eyewitness accounts that he's drawing on come from and so forth. But, but he begins in, in verse 5 uh, of uh, chapter 1. He begins like this. He says, During the rule... Of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant and they were both very old. And um, maybe that's something that you can relate to as you hear this story, that uh, there are still uh, people who struggle with infertility. There's people who have experienced a miscarriage. This is, this is part of the human condition, is that sometimes people just are unable to, uh, to have children. And, and if that's you, if, you, if you've been in that situation, you know the, the difficulty that causes, the, the sense of in, inadequacy, you know, what's wrong with me, um, and and just the casual pain, you know, people will make a a, a remark that they, they mean perfectly innocently, but it can be painful when they say, you know, when are you two going to have a family or something like that. Um, so so it can be painful to us. And of course, there's the medical procedures, which just add an extra layer of indignity to everything. So so some of us can relate to that that experience, but our own our own um, experience is nothing like Zechariah and Elizabeth would have faced because our culture is so much more understanding than their culture would have been. In that culture, uh, having children was pretty much everything. Um, first of all, it was just very practical. You needed children if you lived in a farm or something. You needed extra hands, but um, you also needed them uh, to grow old because there was no social safety net. There was nothing like social security or retirement um, uh, savings or anything like that. Uh, people needed to have children who would look after them in their old age. And so if you don't have children, 
you're out of luck. Um, and and uh, they have no children. They don't. Ideally, you would have sons because sons in, in that society, sons were just frankly worth more than than daughters. But um, they didn't even have daughters, so they had no children at all. And that would have been seen as just a terrible misfortune uh, by people in their culture. And uh, Luke actually takes pain to explain to us, he says, that this was not God's punishment. He says, they were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They are not being uh, uh, punished for anything that they've done. They've, they've been uh, uh, doing all the right things, but... Uh, but they just have the misfortune of having no children. And so uh, maybe some of their neighbors might have uh, realized these are good people, that they, they it's not anything they did. But most people would have looked at them and said it's probably, uh, you know, some sin of theirs catching up with them. Uh, and uh, uh, they would have been looked at, at, at best, by the people in their culture as, as weirdos. So uh, that's the situation they're in. And because he's a priest, because Zechariah is a priest, he would certainly have prayed about this. That would have been something that would have been a part of his prayer life uh, as long as he was childless, uh, probably until he, at some point he just gave up. He realized he was too old and there wouldn't be any children for him. So at some point he probably gave up, but uh, but uh, it might have been a couple of decades ago, but he probably spent a lot of his time praying that God would give him children. And uh, for whatever reason, they never came. So um, he has uh, he has had this source of uh, disappointment in his in his life and in his prayer life, uh, but he probably has other sources of disappointment uh, as a priest. And, and the reason for that is because um, for us, being a priest is a job. Uh, for us, uh, there are people like me, and we have different names. Sometimes we're called a reverend or a minister or pastor, preacher. We have we go by different names, but but the people who who uh, serve in the front of the church, we have a calling, um, and uh, we we uh, have have that role. We do something in the church. But in the case of the priests, it wasn't a job. It wasn't something you did. It was who you were related to. Because for uh, people in the first century in this in this society, a priest was a member of a hereditary caste. They would have they would have uh, been born into the job, and we read that Zechariah was born into the job. He was from one line of priests, uh, the the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also uh, the daughter of a priest. She was from a different line of priests called uh, the priests of Aaron. So they're both from priestly families, and uh, that meant that they had the 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 title. But for them. I mean, for uh, for Zechariah, for Zechariah, he probably didn't actually get to experience the opportunity to be a priest, to to do something as a priest. And the reason for that, historians tell us, is there were about twenty thousand priests living in that culture at that time. So there just wasn't that much for them to do. Uh, a handful of them could serve as priests in the temple, but most of them. They had whatever they did. They were farmers or, or whatever their other work was, uh, and, and they uh, would not be priests in the sense of actually performing priestly duties. So, so um, he's probably disappointed. If, 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 um, if we would like to imagine what this would be like, imagine uh, if uh, you were uh, a juror, you are a juror from a long line of jurors. Everybody in your family tree going way back, you know, great, great granddad, they were all jurors. And your wife's family was all jurors. And you went to, uh, to go do jury duty every couple of months or whatever. You got summonsed and you went down and you sat in the, the, the room and you waited and you never got called. 
because there was 20,000 jurors and only, you know, a dozen seats on the jury. And that would be the situation that, that, um, Zechariah would have faced is that in his job, he would have had the, the, the opportunity, but, but it would have been a perpetual source of not actually fulfilling that opportunity. And again, this is something where we may not, you know, look forward to doing jury duty like that, but we can probably relate to the idea of being, uh, stifled in our job or, or being frustrated or, or, um, being stuck in our job. Maybe there's, you know, a situation with, you know, the, they, they don't listen to your ideas or, or maybe, um, Maybe there's something toxic about the environment that makes it difficult to work there. Um, now, you know, we, we're, we're living in COVID time, and right now probably a lot of us are saying, look, I'm just happy to have a job at all. You know, I haven't been laid off, and that's a good thing. Um, if, we, if you have been laid off, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I'd like to have your problems. But if you can think back to before COVID, if you think back to what it was like then, maybe you were experiencing that kind of frustration in your, in your career, your, your job life, that, that you felt like, well, what's... what's um, What's going on here? I need to get out of here, or I wish I could get out of here, but I feel trapped. So, so uh, Zechariah's probably got some of that going on. And again, as a priest, that would have been something he would have prayed about. But um, it has not, uh, as, at least as far as Luke tells us, it's it's not a prayer that has been answered. So um, he's one of uh, uh, twenty thousand jurors, and and there's only twelve seats on the jury. So it's it's likely he would never have. Um, he would never have done that. And, you know, if we're going to start listing the, the things that are disappointments, the things that, that, um, Zechariah would have prayed about and has not gotten, um, the, the answer to his prayer about, you know, Luke begins the very first sentence of this. He says, during the rule of King Herod of Judea, Herod was the king of Judea, but he was not a Judean. He was actually a, a foreigner. He was from a country called Idumea, which was on the east, uh, to, to the east of Judea. And the way he got to be king is when the Romans conquered the, the, the land of Judea, he ingratiated himself with the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. And because he was a reliable local person, Caesar put him in that job and made him king. But he's not a Judean. So there's this foreign uh, foreign interference in the 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 country's politics, and uh, this may be something you've thought about. That that over the last couple of years, we've been hearing a lot about foreign intervention in our own politics, and and we, we might be thinking, well, maybe the Russians, you know, hacked uh, hacked the election by by um, uh, putting networks of bots to spread falsehoods on social media, or maybe we're thinking that you know the Chinese uh, interfered with the voting machines or whatever. That there are people who have different ideas about foreign interference in in our elections. But uh, for us to really understand where where uh, uh, Zechariah would be coming from, imagine if there wasn't just you know kind of subtle things that people can argue about on the internet. Imagine if there were actually uniformed troops on the White House lawn. That's the kind of interference in the in the local uh, politics that's going on here. That the Romans are actually propping up this puppet king of theirs. So that would have been a source of frustration. And, and as a as a uh, as a good Jew, uh, Zechariah would have been pray, praying about that. God, where's the Messiah? You promised us centuries ago. You sent you promised to send us a Messiah who would who would restore our country to its greatness back when it was under King David. Uh, we weren't a puppet of some foreign empire. So that would have been something he prayed about. And all of these disappointments in his prayer life probably led uh, Zechariah to have a more deeper uh, philosophical or existential uh, um, uh, 
disappointment. And, and that would have been, you know, where is God? You know, God made these promises, but it's been centuries. It's been centuries even since the last time God spoke through a prophet. We're just, we're just here. You know, what's the point of having 20,000 priests come here, you know, on a, on a regular basis to, to go through the process and, and some of them get selected to offer incense and nothing comes of it. God has yet to fulfill his promises. And so we can imagine, you know, that's that's a question a lot of people have today, especially Christians, because Jesus promised not not a few centuries, not 400 years, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus promised that he would return. And it's been 2,000 years, and he's still not back. So we might have some some of that, at least from time to time. We might wonder, well, where is God, and, and what's what's the holdup? So we might be able to relate to Zechariah more than we might think on first account. We're not priests and, and we don't have a hereditary job, but in a lot of ways, he's not as different as we might think. So Zechariah is dealing with some of the same problems that some of us have, um, if we, if we think about it. So let's see, let's see where things go from here. So picking it up again in verse eight, we read, one day Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. So he gets the summons, he goes down to the jury room, and he's sitting in the jury room. So so uh, that's verse 8. And then verse 9, following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. So he's actually, for the first time, he's selected to be on the jury. So he actually gets to go in and burn incense. Um, and we can imagine, at this point, he's saying, well, all right, you know, Finally, you know, I've been working my life for this and finally I get to go do the thing. So he, uh, he is selected and he goes into the, the sanctuary of the temple and he is, uh, um, going to offer incense. But when he gets inside, there's an angel there. An angel from the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. So the angel is right there where he was going to do this, this priestly service. And we read that when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. Every time we read about uh, angelic appearances in the uh, New Testament accounts, we see that they are terrifying creatures. So, um, so we don't know what makes them so terrifying, but it seems like everybody who sees them is terrified. And the angel tells him, Calm down. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. And then he says this. He says, your prayers have been heard. And we might imagine at this point, Zechariah would go, wait a minute, I haven't started yet. I just came into the sanctuary and I found you there and it was terrifying, but, but I haven't, I haven't said the prayers yet. I haven't lit, I haven't even lit the incense yet. I, I haven't done the thing I came in here to do. What prayer are you talking about? And the angel says, all of them, all of your prayers, Zechariah. He begins, he says, your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth. So he says, you're going to have a child. At long last, after all these decades of waiting, you are going to have a child. But he says, more than that, it's not just a child, you're going to have a son. Which is, and again, in that culture, that would have been a much bigger deal. And he says, um, he says, name him John, and he says he will be a joy and a delight to, to to him, and many people will rejoice. And that would have been true. That would have been true for anybody who had a child. There would have been a party, and you know, neighbors would have come around and offered congratulations. But particularly for somebody who is who is blessed with a child so late in life, that would have been seen as really a special activity, a special a special event. So a lot of people would have rejoiced. So so. Um, Zechariah might go, well, that would certainly be 
a surprise for sure. But then the angel continues. The angel's not done. He says, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes, not just the neighbor's happy, but God will see him as a great, as a great man. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. And this is where things really get real. I mean, it's one thing to have a child, but it's another thing for a priest to be told, your son will not simply be one more priest out of that 20,000. It's not just going to be one more child coming down here, waiting their turn, seeing if they get selected, and then going back home. He is not going to be a priest. He is going to be a prophet. He's going to have a totally different uh, a role in the people of God. He is going to call people back to the, the path of the Lord, to the, to the ways of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He won't simply uh, perform the rituals hoping that God would bless him. He will actually be filled with God's Holy Spirit. So he's saying this, this child will be a mighty prophet. But the angel is not done. He says he will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel is saying, Zechariah would understand what the angel is saying, is that this is not simply a prophet. This is not just one more prophet. I mean, it's been 400 years. That would be pretty special. But this is the prophet. This is the prophet that Moses said that God would eventually raise up a prophet like himself. Uh, it's the prophet in the, the, the likeness or the, the type of Elijah that Malachi talked about. He is the prophet who would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the prophet. It's not just a prophet. It's the prophet, the one who is the forerunner for Messiah. G- Gabriel is telling, is telling Zechariah, he's saying, this is the prophet, the one who will, who will, uh, whose, whose ministry will precede the Messiah. God is doing all these things, and your child has the central role in the work that God is doing in bringing Messiah. And I think somewhere along the way, Zechariah just kind of, his safety's tripped or something, and he, he, uh, he can't handle this, and so he, he's still stuck on the, on the, the child, he says. Zechariah, says to the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. And this is a fun, this is a fun sentence. If you, if you compare it in different translations, uh, they, they try to get at it because what Zechariah is saying is he's saying, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm old. Maybe you meant to come to one of the other 20,000 priests when they did their thing. Uh, maybe you just got the wrong priest because, you know, if you haven't noticed, I'm an old man. And Gabriel answers back in kind of the same language. He says, and in case you didn't notice, I am Gabriel. He says, I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. He says, do you know who sent me? And do you think your age is a problem for God? Of course it's not. He says, he says, I have noticed who you are. Do you notice who I am? So he says, know this, know this, Zechariah, uh, we're not going to have a conversation. I'm an angel. I don't have arguments with people. So he says, know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. Whether you believe it or not, this is happening. This is, you know, I've checked the agenda upstairs and this is what God is doing. 
whether you believe it or not. But he goes on, he says, because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. You will not speak until they actually take place. And Luke, uh, this little section continues. Uh, Luke says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting. Uh, presumably, Gabriel goes back to heaven at that point. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. And when he did finally come out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home, and afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. So, that is the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They wondered, you know, did God just never hear those prayers, the prayers for a child, the, the prayers about my job, the prayers about our, our political situation, and even just the basic concern, where is God? How come it's been so long? And Gabriel is sent to tell him every one of those prayers has been answered. And God has answered them more extravagantly than he could have imagined. The thought that they could all come together all at once, that God could do something this amazing, it would have, it would have simply floored Zechariah. And that is true for us today. If you've wondered, has God forgotten you? The answer is no. God has not forgotten you. Has God heard your prayers? Yes, he has heard your prayers. Has he forgotten your prayers? No, he has not. No more than he has forgotten his own promises to you. A better question for us is, have we forgotten? Have we forgotten the things that God has promised us? Have we forgotten the prayers? Because if we don't remember the prayers we've made, how will we know if God answers them? How will we even recognize them? We may not recognize them anyway. They may be more than we ever expected. But if we, if we don't remember what it is we've asked for, how can we possibly know when God answers them? So instead of asking, Has God forgotten my prayer? Did God even hear it in the first place? We can ask a better question, which is, do I remember the things I've prayed for? Because God may be answering them. God may answer them today. So, what do we do with this? What's the application? Well, the the application is remember your prayers. And, you know, I can think of two ways we can remember our prayers. The, the, The one is very obvious. We can write them down. Uh, you know, I used to do this more than I do now. I very rarely do any journaling. And I was thinking to myself as I was preparing my message, this is something I need to do more of. I need to start journaling my prayer requests again. And, and maybe that's something you, you want to do too. I, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if you think about it, maybe that's something you'd like to do is to, is to make a, a prayer journal. And, um, if so, let me, let me tell you, you know, now's a good time to start those New Year's resolutions because we are in a new year. So don't wait a month. Start now. Start start journaling your prayer requests now, and and um, make them specific because that's the point of writing them down. It's not just well, you know, I prayed today, but but I prayed for this thing. You know, I had this problem, and I prayed for this help. Um, and you know, I I know sometimes we've just got a big mess in our heart or our head. We just don't know exactly what to pray for. But to whatever extent we do have clarity about what we're praying for, what we want God to do, we should write that down. Because then we'll be able to see uh, better what it is that God is doing um, as He as He answers our prayers. So, so write down your your prayers in a prayer journal. But there's another way. There's another way we can we can remember our prayers. And I I started thinking about the curse the the curse that Gabriel pronounces on Zechariah. He says because because um, you didn't believe you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. 
And I was thinking to myself, is that really a curse? Was Zechariah actually cursed there? Or was that what he would have done anyway? What would, what would Zechariah have done? Would he have acted any differently if Gabriel hadn't said that? If Gabriel just went straight back up to heaven right then, would Zechariah have answered, would done anything any differently? Because maybe what he would have done, maybe what a lot of us would do, you know, we would walk out, walk out of the, the sanctuary and say, you guys won't believe what just happened. I saw an angel and uh, he told me that even though I'm 85 years old, I'm going to have a child or, and, and by the way, it's not just going to be a child. He's going to be a prophet, the first prophet in 400 years. And, and not only that, he's going to be the prophet, the prophet we've all been waiting for, t- for, for, uh, 1200, 1300 years. We've been waiting a long time for that prophet and he's going to be that prophet. Or would you have said, you know, Maybe not. Maybe, maybe I just won't even mention all that. You know, maybe I'll just kind of wait and see if, if, you know, we have a child, I'll think about the other stuff. But, but maybe just not going to talk about it. So maybe we should not see what Gabriel says as a, as a, as a curse as much as a prediction that he's, that he's uh, uttering prophecy. So I don't know, I don't know which that is, but in any event, he never does say anything. We see that as um, the story unfolds in the rest of this chapter. But that raises a question for us. Maybe what we should do is tell more people. The beauty of telling people about our prayers is we don't even have to buy a journal. We don't have to get a pen. We don't have to set aside a special time of day or anything else. We can just make it part of our conversations. We're talking to somebody about politics and we can say, you know, yeah, I hate the politics right now too. This, this thing that's going on right now or whatever. I, I really hate it. But you know what? I have prayed about it. And you know, here's what, here's what I prayed for. I prayed that God would do this thing. And, and we can, we can actually tell people what our prayers are. Um, just as part of an ordinary course of, course of the day. Um, we can say, I found out I had this health situation. You know, I was uh, in my doctor's office and I learned this thing. And, and you know, that's something that I've prayed about. What I prayed is that, you know, this, this uh, it would have this resolution. We can actually tell other people about our prayers. We can say, you know what, uh, I've been praying about a particular relationship. You know, there, there's this challenging thing that's going on in this relationship. Um, and as I've been praying about it more and more, it, it seems to me that I, I've been seeing the way that God is working in that relationship and is changing in in this way. We can actually tell other people the things that otherwise we might just put in a journal. We can actually uh, be like Zechariah could not and tell people what we're praying. Because, because the truth is, God has not forgotten our prayers. God has heard our prayers and God will act. God will do something that, that uh, incorporates our prayers and probably... Um, surpasses all of our wildest dreams. But will we recognize it? Because the likely, the likelihood is that we will forget our prayers far more likely than God forgetting them. So let's make a note, or better yet, let's tell a friend, because God will not forget our, our prayers, and neither should we. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, um, we lift up this reading to you and ask for you to help us to, to understand better the way that the problems that we face in our, in our job and, um, in our politics, um, 
in our in our childlessness in some cases in other other family matters that that concern us lord all of these concerns are not new and um if if and when you you do choose to answer them it won't be the first time that nothing we can come up with today is a novel prayer to you it's not something you have not already um uh proven your your goodness to your people down through the centuries so lord help us to remember that you are a god who can answer prayers but more than that you are a god who does answer prayers who who surpasses our our wildest imaginings and um as as we um wait for your timing lord we pray that you would um help us to remember our prayers to to remember them with some specificity and maybe that's by journaling or maybe it's by telling a friend uh, help us to remember our prayers lord because we know that you will not these things we ask lord in christ's holy name amen <laughs>